Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. I've been thinking heaps lately about the word passion. It's probably one of the most used words in our Christian vocabulary and probably one of the most misused words too. What I didn't realise was that the word passion, it actually finds its origin in the Latin word for suffering, which I guess means that passion is not so much about something you love, but maybe more accurately your willingness to suffer for something you love. But what does that mean for you and I? What does it look like to be genuinely passionate for God? It actually reminds me of one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard from the persecuted church of a Christ-centred passion about this guy called Peter from North Africa. He was arrested when police stormed into the secret Christian gathering that he was attending. He was caught and held for six years without charge in some of the most horrific conditions I've ever heard of. On one occasion, Peter was locked in a cell so narrow that he could only lie down. Essentially a coffin for five months. They took him straight from this coffin and placed him in an underground cell, completely dark, and they left him there for a further six months. When they finally pulled him out of this hole, he said not only was he almost completely blind, but his legs were paralysed. And over the coming months, by the grace of God, he says, my sight returned and my legs were healed. The police would regularly pull him in and say, Peter, we want you to sign this piece of paper, which literally said, I will not speak about Jesus. I will not meet with Christians. And on each occasion, he would refuse to sign it. One day, Peter and two fellow Christian inmates resolved to escape With no shoes and just the clothes on their backs, under a hail of gunfire, they ran for their lives. In fact, Peter didn't stop walking for more than 200 kilometres until he reached the relative safety of a refugee camp. And as he spoke about the last six years of his life, he said he realised that not only had he lost his freedom, but he lost time. He said, I'm almost 40 years old. I'm, I'm not trained. I'm that educated. I may never get married or have a family of my own. But then he stopped and smiled and he said, but I still have Jesus and he's worth it all. It dawned on me recently that, well, I live as though Jesus Christ isn't coming back in my lifetime. And the impact that has on my faith, on my passion. It's crazy. Because if I'm honest with you, I've been living that style of faith for more than 30 years. Whereas the people I've met right across North Africa and people like Peter, 
They live as though Jesus Christ is coming back in their lifetime with a willingness to suffer for God. It's almost as though in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, they find the river of life, the one true God, Jesus, who before you were passionate for him, suffered because of his passion for you. If you knew Jesus were coming back in 10 days, what would change in your life? Because whether he is or isn't coming back in our lifetime, it shouldn't change a thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Dad, fill us with a passion for you that's motivated by your passion for us. Open up my wet mouth with your Holy Spirit. Let your word pierce our hearts, plant seeds in us. Lord, and I pray that you are birthing missionaries in this room tonight, in Homa and across the world. That because of your word tonight that never returns void, souls will be saved all over the world. That lives <laughs> will be laid down for your kingdom. You are the king over our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. First John 4.10, this is worth memorizing. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be atonement for us. There's the gospel in one sentence. God is transcendent, omniscient, omnipotent. He has been since before the dawn of time, and yet before he created light itself, he knew your name and he knew your days. And since the foundations of the earth, when he created, he knew his son was going to die and he was thinking about you. Before we could love him, he was already loving us. Matthew 16, 25 through 26 Hopefully I've said this verse enough weeks in a row that you're starting to memorize it. If anyone desires, this is Jesus speaking, if you desire to come after me, let him or her deny themselves. Take up the cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Following Jesus begins with the denial of ourselves, our wants, and our desires. Losing our life here that Jesus is talking about is not limited just to martyrdom. It doesn't mean that the only way that we gain eternal life is through being killed because of Jesus. It means that we lose our lives as then we let go of control of them from ourselves. We cling, we grapple, we fight to control our lives day in and day out. And you know what? Life itself is unpredictable and uncontrollable. 
And yet, day after day after day, we wake up in the morning, and every morning we begin a pursuit until the setting of the sun, and that pursuit is often just for ourselves. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, the first thing that changes is that you now allow me to be in control of your life, and you pursue me. Matthew 26 tells a heart-wrenching story. Peter and all the disciples have fled because Jesus has been taken into bondage and led to trial. And they scattered into the dark and hid in the bushes and around trees. The very best friends that Jesus had in this world have run when things got hard. And in the dark, somewhere behind, Peter begins to follow the torchlight through the streets until they came to the high priest's house where he would bestow judgment on Jesus, hear witnesses and make the decision of whether Jesus deserved life or death. Then Peter finds his way in to the courtyard. At that time, they didn't have bench seats in the courthouse like we do now. They would be in the, the courtyard around the house, and they would sit around campfires, and they would listen in to hear what was going on, and Peter was among them. He was so close that he could see Jesus and overhear what was being said. And there at the campfire, a girl says, wait, 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 weren't you with him too? Weren't, weren't you following Jesus? Oh, Rewind only a few hours, and Peter said, Jesus, I will die for you no matter what it takes. I will not betray you. And at the voice of a servant girl, Peter says, I, I don't know this guy. I've never heard of him before. You got me confused with somebody else. And then just a little bit later, you know the story. But you see, they're not just asking in passing, like, hey, were you with him? No, they're saying, the guy on trial, you deserve to be there too. Every time they ask him, shouldn't you be in there? Shouldn't they have caught you and led you in chains with them? Peter, hey, you across the campfire. Do you know him? Weren't you with him? I saw you. I swear I don't know him. And it says that Peter called out curses saying that he did not know Jesus. And a third time, someone actually said, I saw you with him in the garden before his arrest. They were there when Jesus was arrested and saw Peter and again, Peter denies. And the book of Luke says that when the rooster crowed at the third denial, it says that Jesus, standing before Caiaphas, being judged, being spit on, being hit, being yelled at, it says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And when their eyes met, Peter felt the deepest, low, heart-groping, stabbed to the heart of betrayal of his very best friend, his Lord, everything made eye contact with him. And it says that he ran into the darkness, weeping. Jenny Allen, a popular speaker, says, if you have one pursuit your whole life, one thing that is driving you, one thing you want more than anything else on the earth, when you lose it, your world crumbles down. Peter had one thing he pursued his whole life. And when it was threatened, it crumbled. At this point in his life, that pursuit was not Jesus. It was his own interest, his reputation, his position, his benefits, his wants, his safety was threatened. And when that one thing, what he pursued his whole life himself, was threatened, then his world crumbled. 
and he found himself in the dark, weeping from his betrayal. You see, people often, we often suffer for something that we do want. Think about athletes and how they're willing to suffer for the gold medal. Think about businessmen and about how they're willing to sacrifice everything to make more money. Think about, as a silly example, how some of us are willing to wait in the dark and the rain and the cold to see a movie premiere. We're willing to suffer for something that we want. We're willing to sacrifice things that we desire, that that are our goals. But all of these things, they're just the self-indulgence of our wants and our dreams. And all they really are just an elevation of ourselves. If I can achieve this, then I become more popular. If I can achieve this, then I can buy more things that I want. If I can date this person, then I will, etc., etc., etc. It's just an elevation of our own selves. Most and maybe all of our goals are nothing more than a pursuit of me, of self. Here's the hard question. Are you the most important person in your world? Are you the most important thing that you're living for? I fall to that all the time. I'm willing to say yes. But how insignificant, how small-minded, how frail a pursuit is just me. As long as we're focused on what I want and how I feel, then we are useless for the kingdom of heaven. We're we're like a donkey that won't get off the ground for his master. God can't use us if all we care about is my wants and my feelings. Remember, Satan doesn't have to defeat you. He only has to distract you. And oh boy, the pursuit of self is a seductive distraction. A willingness to suffer for something greater than ourselves begins with a denial of self. Think about parents and how they're willing to suffer for their children. Think about soldiers and how they're willing to suffer for their country. Think about firemen and how they're willing to suffer for maybe you. These are people that see a purpose greater than themselves, and they're willing to deny what they want. The mother that's working two and three jobs, denying what she wants so she can keep food on the table, right? The soldier that's willing to to dive onto a grenade to protect his friends. These are the people that see a purpose beyond their own best interest. I want to read some beautiful scripture to you. This is Romans 5. We're going to start in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, justified means in right standing, is in like justice. If you are in right standing with the law, then you have no problem with the judge, right? We are in right standing with God because of Jesus. We have no right to be there. But because of Jesus, he gives us the opportunity to be in right standing by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in what? We rejoice in the glory of God. That's incredible. That's amazing. But read this next verse with me. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Sufferings! Are you crazy? We don't thank God for our sufferings. 
We don't thank God for when things are hard, when we have to sacrifice something. What are you, are you crazy, Paul? How are you going to talk about we rejoice? Yes, we can rejoice in the glory of God. He is worthy of our praise. We rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in the denial of self and self-sacrifice and being maybe persecuted for what we believe in. People making fun of us, losing friends, giving us weird looks, losing our jobs, whatever it is for Jesus. We rejoice in that. And Paul continues, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. And you know what? Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, this message has no traction or impact if, unless through faith, you've given your life to Jesus. But for those who have denied self-interest, accepted suffering, it's going to produce perseverance, character, and hope. That is good news. I want to introduce you to a woman. And her story is found in this book. It's called The Martyr's Oath. It's a current book. It was just written last year. Her name is Rose, and the odds are that's probably not her real name because she tries to protect the people in it. Rose lived in a North African village. Her husband was a police officer. She had three kids, and she was pregnant. Her daughter, luckily, was in a nearby village, but not with her. And her and her husband heard gunshots. When her husband looked out the window, he saw that the Boko Haram were coming into town and they were coming in shooting. Now, the Boko Haram are Islamic terrorists. They pledged their allegiance to ISIS. And honestly, in a lot of ways, they're worse by far for their brutality. The Boko Haram come into town and her husband says, they're here to kill us. I want to defend you the very best that I can. And he stood in the doorway, and he killed the first eight soldiers that came into the door and sent many men running wounded until he finally ran out of bullets. The men came in. They forced him to the ground in front of her, and they cut off her husband's head. And then they drug her sons, her two sons, from the other room in front of her, and they cut off their heads one at a time. In an act of panic, she sprinted away from them, trying to get out of the house. And just before she made it out of, one, out of the door, one of the soldiers reached out with a machete and cut her arm. And she ran until one of them overpowered her and pushed her down onto her face, six months pregnant. And they began cutting with their machete into the back of her neck over and over again and began shouting to her to say the words, Allahu Akbar, which in the Muslim faith is a declaration of faith in Allah. Over and over again. And every time that she wouldn't say it, they would cut the back of her neck deeper and cut it again. Say it. Say this. And so she began screaming back, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And every time they would cut her neck deeper, she would say Jesus again until she had bled out so much that she was so weak that she couldn't speak anymore. But still under her breath, she was mouthing the word Jesus into the dirt. She would not give up. until she was so quiet and so still that they left her for dead. And she laid there face down in the dirt for two days. It rained on her, mosquitoes covered her, and she laid in the dark bleeding out until healthcare workers came into town to dispose of the bodies and found her alive. They brought her to a hospital and they told her that she would have to have a feeding tube for the rest of her life until Christian missionaries 
discovered her case and brought her to an American hospital, and they were able to take the tube out. She lost her baby. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. She lost all of her possessions. The only thing living to her was her daughter, who was in the other village. And yet, at the end of her story, she says, I am thankful to God for sparing my life. I'm grateful for the people who have come along who are like a new family to me. She wouldn't stop saying Jesus. Cut after cut, face down in the dirt. You know, we, we sacrifice if we sacrifice at all, at best, we sacrifice our luxuries. Ooh, I'm going to go without my social media for a week for Jesus. At our very best, we only sacrifice our luxuries. But there's people all around the world that are sacrificing their necessities for Jesus long before they're brought to the point of sacrificing their lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that when Christ calls a man... He calls him to come and die. But that death that Bonhoeffer is referring to, that loss of life that Jesus refers to, it doesn't begin with a machete or a gun to our heads. It begins with the suffering of self-denial. And that's the posture of true Christianity. Jesus, my life is yours and everything in it. To put Jesus and other people above ourselves, as in, my life is here, and you, and you, and you, and Jesus, you're first. I'm way last. That's the posture of Christianity. That's self-denial. I want to read this quote from the book, and it tore me up. Too often our faith is where we self-medicate on religion. So we don't feel so, quite so bad about our total self-centeredness our unabashed obsession with ourselves, our things, our future, and our lives. Are we all able to follow that? I want to read it one more time. Our faith is often where we self-medicate on religion. So we don't feel quite so bad about our total self-centeredness, our unabashed obsession with ourselves, our things, our future, and our lives. We look with such peculiarity at the willingness of our brothers and sisters to die, and they look at us with that same peculiarity. They are totally confused that our faith costs us almost nothing. Maybe 10% of our income and the occasional remark at work. Totally confused that our faith costs us so little. Here's the solution. Long before our faith costs us our life, it has to cost us ourself. Long before our faith costs us our life, it has to cost us ourself. What are you holding back? What are you saying, Jesus, here's 90% of me, but this 10%, I'm keeping this for me. I was in college when God slammed me in the face with the fact that my goals and my dreams for my life were what I was holding back. Lord, I've given everything to you. I'm in college for you. And he said, no, but your dreams are still yours. They were never mine. What is it that you're holding on to? Is it a reputation? Is it a girlfriend? Is it your entertainment? What is it? 
Is it your popularity, your reputation? You don't want to be classified as actually living your faith? What is it? What's the percent that you won't let go of? If you have one pursuit your whole life, one thing that's driving you that you want more than anything else on the earth, when you lose it, your world crumbles down. Peter's world crumbled down. But after Peter's denial, he'd be restored by Jesus on a lakeside. And from there, Peter would boldly preach the word of God across the world to great persecution until under Nero in 63 AD, they would lead him in chains towards a cross. And Peter would beg them, please don't let me die the way that my Lord did. I don't deserve to die the way Jesus did. Please let me die upside down. And so they crucified Peter, but upside down. You see, Peter found something new to pursue his whole life. He found something greater than just himself and his safety and his wants and needs and desires. It was something that would never crumble down. It would never leave him. Romans 8.38, what can separate us from the love of God? I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing should be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want to pursue something that will never leave you in crumble weakness or brokenness? You make Jesus your pursuit. Him and him only. If anyone comes and desires to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Passion is not about something that you love. Passion is a willingness to suffer for something or someone that you love. 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his atonement for our sins. And when we've discovered that kind of love, how can we hold a life preserver in our hands as we watch the people around us drowned? Tonight, you have the opportunity, a very, very special opportunity, as we break into our e-groups. Your leaders are going to give you the chance to write letters of encouragement to people that are losing their families and their businesses and their lives for Jesus. You can write them a scripture of hope. You can write them a testimony, something to encourage them, a prayer, maybe. And we're going to fold them up and we're going to send them away. And your letters are going to be translated into languages across the world to give hope to people like Rose. And then next week, in your small groups, come ready. We're going to collect an offering and we're going to send it to Open Doors Ministry. Open Doors Ministry is translating Bibles. It's giving relief to people that are being persecuted. It's helping our brothers and sisters. And then we have an austere pleasure, a missionary from France who ministers 
to Islamic refugees is going to be here to speak to us tonight in three weeks. Not next week, but the week after. His name is Kareem. Be praying for him. So remember your prayer points. Be thinking and praying about what God is calling you to write in your letter tonight. One final announcement. We have the opportunity to bring awareness to human trafficking. On October 20th, on Saturday, from 8.30 to 10.30, we're going to be meeting in Tipido. I can give you more information. And we're just going to march and bring awareness that human trafficking is a real thing. And it's happening in this nation and around the world. Let's pray. Lord, if we ever have to lay down our lives for you, I pray that it began tonight. Let it begin in us now. A denial of self where you are so much more important than anything that we could ever lose, that we count everything that we would have pursued as loss compared to the glory of knowing Jesus Christ. Lord, let us lay down our lives and lose our lives tonight for you. Lord, and whether we ever have to do it in a physical manner or not, we are holy and completely yours. You are our only pursuit. Open up our minds to write hope. Send our letters to people that need them and encourage your people, our brothers and sisters around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.